Welcome, everyone, to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast by Fantastic Geek. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Buenos dias, Pete. Don't say I never gave you anything, Matt. Never, Pete. Never. And uh, with that, Pete, what are we talking about tonight? We are analyzing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode 116, End of the Beginning. Brought to us tonight by the Lemurian Star. When you're looking to take a slow boat to the South China Sea, look no further. Lemurian Star. Now, Pete, I'll admit, you know, I understand that the bit each week is you, you do a you know a fake sponsor surrounding something involving Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I don't quite get this one. I, I watched the episode dutifully. I took my notes. I don't get it. Would you like to play a game? Well, Pete, I'm, I'm a little confused here. You have like the robot voice. I can hear you typing. Are you the clairvoyant? How much do you want to know? <laughs> well, Pete, here's what I want to know. I want to set the rules for spoiling here. You're kind of famous as spoiler Pete. Um, I know you know some things and some stuff. Um, you may have even, you know, flown to Gay Paris to see Captain America 2 already. How are we going to do this here? Is this episode referring to the events of Captain America 2? How are we going to not spoil everyone, myself included? We are going to be really careful. <laughs> well, that's good to know. Pete, can we set the rule that, like, it's okay for you to set kind of sticky notes where the Captain America, uh, the Winter Soldier moments occur, but we'll save the true connections for when we have this weekend's Cap 2 podcast? Affirmative. <laughs> Excellent. Now, can we have the real Pete back now? Yes, you can. Excellent. Pete, I guess with that, I, <laughs> with all that introduction out of the way, I will just uh, remind everyone... Remind those friends listening that you can help support the podcast's bandwidth and storage costs by visiting fantasticgeek.com and clicking on the PayPal link. Even a little goes a long way. With that, Pete, should we debrief? We should indeed. Action in tonight's long-awaited, much-anticipated episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., ironically broadcast on April Fool's Night, <laughs> begins in Sydney, Australia, where... Agents Garrett and Triplet enter a safe house only to be surprised that they are not so safe and they are the targets of one cybertech baddie by the name of Deathlock. Dun dun dun. Ah, yes. Uh, from there, we are on the deck of a helicarrier where the bus has just landed and we see a meeting of what we will call the top brass of shield uh present at this meeting are of course uh agent colson and agent garrett along with agent blake played by the wonderful titus welliver who actually just had his uh um, Amazon Studios uh, show uh, Bosch uh, picked up <laughs> as well as Agent Jasper Sitwell, long of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Agent Victoria Hand. So very uh, level eight indeed. 
the tippity top there. And by the way, don't call her Vic. Don't call her Vic. I'm guessing that might be sexist. <laughs> we come to learn, and there was some very intentional phraseology within this meeting. Um, one of which uh, I'm going to use here, the term compartmentalizing, which should have some resonance after uh, some of y'all see a certain movie that comes out uh, late Thursday, Friday. Unless, of course, you're, <laughs> you're in the UK or other parts of the world and you've already sent us emails about that. Hello, Ian. We'll read your email when we talk about Captain America. <laughs> So at this very high-level meeting, it is established that we are going to have a double-blind search for the clairvoyant. Uh, Sky, back on the mend here, uh, very much eager to help the team and to repay the kindness and the loyalty of her fellow agents. And with that, she is also welcomed to S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, fittingly and purposely by Agent Coulson, and the rest of her colleagues are called up to the command deck of the bus to see this take place. A, a nice moment. It was, and I think that it was, look, for anybody who's going to complain, well, but yeah, she didn't go to S.H.I.E.L.D. Hogwarts, and she hasn't been through all the training. This is just a narrative solution to something that they, to a little narrative oops-a-daisy back from the beginning of the season. It made sense for her to be the outsider, the the, the the you know the outside agent that sort of thing you know the, the independent contractor they need her to be an agent of shield they don't have the time or the inclination for her to go get quote unquote the training it's training on the fly on twitter i was kind of somewhat tongue-in-cheek calling it you know wesley crusher's graduation oh she's now going to have the rainbow stripes across her her shoulders and, and whatnot this is just the show saying yeah she probably should have gone to training um, we're not going to send her away from the show for two years. Congratulations, Agent Level One. Move on, and I'm okay with that. Ron Moore said, uh, you know, with in talking about Battlestar, he said once or twice a season you can just say, "Hand of the writer, we're doing this because we have to do this," and the audience puts up with it. This is one of those times where you just say, "Okay, she's now an agent of Shield. Got it. She did none of the coursework. Okay, moving on. We we understand it's not perfect. Moving on." And if more training is needed, they could always have Obi-Wan Kenobi tell her she needs to go to the Dagobah system and find Yoda. Indeed. <laughs> um, but within this double-blind uh, scenario that they establish where agents are going to receive their targets once they arrive near um, the rendezvous points, um, there is a catch, and I think it bears pointing out, and we have our suspicions come the end of the episode that I think we'll talk up a little bit more in our dossier section, because um, we still don't know who to trust at this point. But some agents are not fans of this particular scenario. Agent Sitwell specifically comes to mind. That's true. He kind of seems to be quickly ushered out of the story, Pete. That that had caught my eye. It was a little strange to 
to my mind, to bring him in for a couple of scenes and then out he goes. Yes, he was sent by Agent Hand with a little note uh, from the Triskelion, which has not yet been established in our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. universe as what exactly it is other than a place um, that he would be rendezvousing with the Lemarian star. And then Sitwell said he had a boat to catch. Ah, Pete, is this one of those little sticky notes where you're saying to be continued in Captain America too? What you just heard was an ellipse. Ah, so, okay. uh, Garrett then, uh, gets, some time with sky in some stuff I thought was very loaded tonight. Uh, he shows her his third degree burn. Hey honey, want to, want to see my, my scar. Okay. He uses again, an intentional phrase like bandwagon. Okay. And then he actually said the title of a future episode, turn, 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 which I believe is also, uh, have some other resonance in pop culture. Pete, that would be a reference to the folk rock song, Turn, 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 to Everything There is a Season, uh, written by Pete Seeger and uh, perhaps most famously covered by The Birds in uh, 1965. And is also the title of episode 117, the next episode from tonight, to be broadcast on April 8th in a post Captain America, the Winter Soldier world. Well, I don't think this is spoilery. It's just kind of more speculation. Uh, I know that the lyrics are taken from uh, one of the books of the Bible. And uh, I happen to have uh, the text in front of me here, traditionally uh, ascribed to King Solomon. Uh, I'll do it kind of abridged here. Uh, Time to be born, a time to die, to plant, to kill, to heal, to break down, to build up. So Seems like we have some interesting stuff ahead of us as these episodes turn, turn, turn. My turn. See what I did there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we are sent off to different locations around the globe. Ward and Triplet uh, exchange dialogue as they are heading for their target with their nice little piece of uh, product placement. Yeah. Which we won't mention, but as I said on Twitter, it's one of those companies that slows down your Netflix connection because they want money from Netflix. At least that's my view as a as a uh, customer of this company's uh, internet. In fact, it's being brought. <laughs> this podcast is being made possible by that internet connection, uh, as well as a Netflix customer. So. <laughs> to uh, that company. I'm glad that you're taking away uh, my bandwidth and giving it to Agent Ward there. So, harumph. There you go. There is discussion between Ward and Tripp. The clairvoyant had Tripp's former partner, Dan Monroe, uh, killed. So, there's a little foreshadowing for later in the episode. Uh, we are then shown that at the Tranquility Bridge rest home, ah, such uh. a such a such a peaceful environment, uh, yeah, that is. agents Blake and Melinda May have been dispatched, and then we are shown that in Munchie, Indiana, 
that agents Garrett and Colson are about to confront uh, one of the 13 people that has been identified as possibly being the clairvoyant uh, courtesy of Shields Index. By the way, Pete, when they were at the, the exterior of the rest home, I kind of as a, as a fan of uh, old movies, I immediately knew where they were, were filming. Um, the name of uh, the name of their studio, which which they are currently at, um, I know we've referenced it in other podcasts, and the the exact name escapes me at the moment. But it was originally Selznick International Pictures, that home of uh, you know Gone with the Wind, uh, A Star Is Born, uh, Rebecca movies like that, and um, they were absolutely outside the main building there, which I believe carries the name uh, you know of the Selznick Building, something like that. Um, it's kind of in that, um, um, you know, style of the big house, a la Gone with the Wind, um, um, the kind of historic southern plantation style, and um, guaranteed that's where they were. They didn't leave the lot. They went to that big fancy building that looks like it could be an old-timey rest home um, um, on their lot there. So a nice, uh, you know, they went all the way, you know, around the world to <laughs> their lot you know where they where they filmed the show so nice little moment there well maybe that was the producer's way of tipping their hand because it winds up that Blake and May wound up where the clairvoyant was or at least we were led to believe the clairvoyant was this uh Thomas Nash who is a resident of Tranquility Bridge and of course Deathlock is there and confronts uh, Blake, uh, rendering him unconscious but alive. Uh, May just escapes a newly incorporated gauntlet missile from Deathlock, who we will discuss at length in our dossier. Indeed, I'm sure we will. And it was a nice... Um, I like how Deathlock is, is being... It, the implication is he has been built up since the last time we see him. Then we see this extra piece added this time. And uh, it's just kind of a nice way to say, you know what? We're not going to spend a ton of time with Deathlock, but, uh, you know, to show his his progress and whatnot. But um, we're going to give you the latest, you know, goodie in his James Bond car, if you will. And uh, and I thought it was a really nice. It was a really nice way to show, like, yeah, he does look different because he gets these packages every so often and he snaps them on and away he goes. So. Good job there, Deathlock. Who do you think drops off his packages? You think that's UPS, or uh, you know, you think they're trusting, uh, you know, Deathlock uh, missile gauntlet piece to you know our postal service? <sighs> um, if they sent it by the postal service, it would be there after the season finale. Um, there you go, FedEx. It is, huh? <laughs> that's right. Either that or just just private courier. You know, it's somebody else who woke up. It's a FedEx guy who has one of those I spy eyeballs that'll be like, you must go take this package to the beat up flop house with the crumbling walls, you know, but I can't do it. I got to do my FedEx route and be on time. No, <laughs> deliver it now. Well, just like a UPS, we are delivered to the hub. And there is discussion that Simmons is hanging around 
Um, they are uh, leaving Triplet off there as well, and they are joining the hunt, our agents, for this Thomas Nash, who we track down to what seemed a lot like an abandoned airport. Um, Fitz, of course, uh, deploys his technology as always, which Garrett refers to as an impressive toy and fits very uh, manly, wants to have it called uh, high-tech hardware. And we are led into a room that this has been showed to us in uh, promotional material where there is a wheelchair-bound gentleman that Matt actually caught during the credits is by the name of Brad Dourif, Chucky, amongst other, um, you know, important characters that this actor has played, if you're playing at home. Pete, you would not recognize him as having played uh, Wormtongue in uh, the Lord of the Rings movies because you despise him so greatly. But of course, he also was in the Oscar-winning One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest, where he, of course, so memorably, Pete, played uh, Billy Bibbit, also in a couple episodes of the old Star Trek Voyager. No sooner are we introduced to Thomas Nash and via the plot device of his typey computer Stephen Hawking chair thing, (laughs) which greatly becomes the subject of speculation in the last quarter of the show, um, he reveals himself to be the clairvoyant and... Just like the conversation between Ward and Triplet played out before, where Ward said, we're here to take in, not take out the clairvoyant. Ward takes out the clairvoyant. <laughs> or what we suspect and are led to believe is the clairvoyant. Your thoughts, Matt? Well, it is some, it, it, it's a sneaky bit of uh kind of sleight of hand that's occurring at this point in the episode. Um, particularly with with the casting of Brad Dourif, I almost felt like it was a Janet Lee type moment where, oh, I recognize him. Of course he's the bad guy. It's Brad Dourif. Boom, he gets shot in the same scene. And it's like, oh. Yeah, I think the audience immediately now assumes it's not him now that he's been revealed and shot in, you know, 60 seconds. So really nice kind of, well, as I said, nice bit of a, a sleight of hand. Kind of expensive, though, for a, a misdirective cameo, wouldn't you say? Um, I mean, this is a guy, you know, this is Chucky we're talking about. This, you know, he, look, he's, 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 he's a name and nothing against him. But also, like, I don't know. Are you going to go see the latest Brad Dourif movie? Um, oh, I, but I, I did go to great lengths, sadly, to watch the latest direct-to-video Chucky movie, and yeah. Pete, the latest feather in his cap uh, appears to have been doing uh, the off-Broadway revival of uh, the Tennessee Williams play entitled The Two-Character Play. Again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I mean, the guy has, has, a, has a fantastic um, resume, Mississippi Burning. Deadwood, Dune, um, but I think he's just, look, is he going to, let me put it this way, they're going to say, what's your price to come in for a day, 
and he'll name the price. And if it's, I don't know, if it's slightly beneath him, when you walk away with 10 grand or five grand or whatever his asking price is for a day, it's one day's worth of work. A, the work's the work. B, I think they paid for his name, paid for his recognizability more than they paid for him as, um, you know, the actor. And you say, oh, wow, this is really such a nuanced performance. They paid for him to, <laughs> as it notes on Wikipedia, he also had a quick scene in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode 16. I mean, I think that's kind of what it was meant to be, where you recognize him, you're convinced it's him, and then he's dead and that's it. Well, I would be just fine if he winds up being a clairvoyant. And again, where we're funneled by the end of this episode is not to believe that. Um, I I just think it speaks to the production of the show that they could bring a guy in like that. Very, very established. Okay. You could have put anybody in a chair and put a yeah. tube in his mouth and, and had a voice go. Okay. Uh, through the magic of production and TV. And that they go and they get a name to do it. Again, maybe it speaks to that misdirection. We're going to have to wait and see. But indeed, indeed. And I mean, I know this isn't kind of, you know, pro- this is not a, a level seven bit of speculation I'm doing. There's nothing to say that he can't be back in some sort of, I mean, my goodness, Sky got two to the gut and she came back. Colson died. I mean, there's nothing that says it can't be that the such and such and the who's he what's and bring him back, bring him back as a head in a jar or half robot or, you know, there's all sorts of options where maybe we're having this speculation and, oh man, the season finale, how did he just walk out and say with his speaking voice and no computer, I really am the clairvoyant. We say, what? You know, and then season two gets all explained. Who knows? Well, he didn't like to be touched, or at least he told us he didn't like to be touched. I'm guessing he didn't like to be shot even more. Um, Ward is then thrown in the bus's cell. Um, There is great speculation that he was ordered to take out the clairvoyant, all of which between Sky and the events happening off of the bus... For instance, Director Fury being back at the Triskelion, we are told. Okay. Um, And Fitz getting to the bottom of the bug placed on the bus by Melinda May uh, and cutting it as she is in communication with whomever it is where she is updating Log 90. Five, which before was called Log 93. <gasps> There's been stuff in between. In the weeks off, she's been making more calls, Pete. What is Log 94? Something inconsequential that was just <laughs> an update in the time in between the last episode and this one? It was actually the Amazon grocery list to be delivered by drone to the bus. <laughs> Was was that delightful? <laughs> so um, all of this leads us to a very tense standoff. Um, come the e- end of the episode, in the Lola garage at the rear of the bus, the bus pulls a transformer esque. Um, I'm going to turn you around myself. Scenario. We come to learn that Agent Hand 
has done this. She wants Colson. She says, he's mine. And secret scene, which actually, Matt, was not from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for the first time, was from something else. Yeah, I think it pricked up everyone's ears when it said uh, more Marvel after this or was a certain phrase like that. It, um, the exact phrase was stay tuned for more Marvel in the dulcet tones of one Clark Gregg, which you've heard before on this podcast in an exclusive interview. <laughs> in case uh, any of you listeners hadn't heard. Or you um, want to go back and just listen to it again like Matt does. Indeed. Uh, search iTunes for uh, Fantastic Geek with PH. Um I actually think that they should do that every week. Stay tuned for more Marvel. I think it's a nice way to open up the universe a little bit. Even if it's just going to be, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. clips for the rest of the season, which it will be because there's no more Earthbound Marvel movies with the slight exception of, you know, what we're assuming is 10 minutes or less for for Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, But yeah, I I mean, I think if you've seen even a little bit of the previews for uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, you kind of recognize that racing, crashing, winter soldier, throwing bomb thing scene. Um, I was surprised at how well it worked with everything. And I said on Twitter, you know, was it gimmicky? Maybe. Did it work? Absolutely. Yes, it is kind of gimmicky. You're supposed to get done with, you're supposed to get done watching this episode and say what? I need to go see Captain America this weekend. Not, I cannot wait until the next Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, or you need to see it again in some people's cases. Not mine, Pete. Not mine. <laughs> I will say uh, this. And again, you know, spoiler Pete notwithstanding, um, what we saw, and, and Matt, I communicated that to you. And again, this is never to uh, destroy the, the viewer's experience, which is not and is never my goal. But what we saw there was an abridged sequence from the film again, to funnel you right into the film. And you know what? That's okay. I actually was reminded of um, the scene in uh, The Incredible Hulk where Tony Stark shows up, and I hadn't fully understood the point of that scene until they spelled it out in the uh, Assembling a Universe special where it was specifically there to say, this really is all connected. That Sam Jackson cameo was not a cute thing. This is all one universe. And I think that that's what the purpose of this was. Obviously, there's some plot tie-ins. You know, we've we've been expecting that. That was teased at Paleyfest. Uh, you were teasing that, Pete. But I think that it was it was just an opportunity to really say, you know, meanwhile, there is this other stuff going on, and let's not forget that. Um, so to me it worked. It was absolutely effective. It has me, you know, all the more all the more excited and jazzed for uh, you know, for what's to come. Matt, let's open up our dossier tonight. Um, it seems more bad guys maybe <laughs> to look at than anything else. We begin, of course, with Deathlock, uh, who in the opening scene uh, meets the ceiling. And uh, when Deathlock goes against the ceiling and apparently the roof of a hotel, of a hotel uh, he wins every time. By creating a mostly cylindrical circle, a la <laughs> Roger Rabbit jumping out of the uh, Maroon Cartoon main room there and leaving a Roger Rabbit-shaped hole. I thought, to me, it was just a little too round. 
Um, but whatever. You know what? They're on a schedule. You just get some, you know, some carpenter with a, uh, a sawzall to like do a hole and they say, all right, make it messier. Uh, I get that. But yeah, I mean, we have, we have, um, we have a, you know, a Deathlock looking more uh, deathly than we've seen him in the past. Um, just- oh, indeed. I mean, falling apart. Uh, Sky breathes wonderful humanity into the gravity of what he's going through when she sees on the uh, the scanner there that he's got things underneath his skin. And, you know, the, the best villains are tortured in their own right, in their choices. Um, and that really, I thought, helped uh, bring the character further along. And it was, an, it was an instance of using the special effects and perhaps using even, you might argue, special effects limitations to your benefit. The fact that, you know, like, how are you going to show he has all the stuff under him? Well, they show kind of, you know, the 3D radar sonar type stuff. And, you know, it's obviously not, I don't know, could you have done another way where it's like his surgery scene and you have a, you know, computer generated J. August Richards and you're a computer model or whatever. This is... This is the yellow barrel in Jaws. This is just giving you that glimpse and you say, oh my goodness, I see how there's all this stuff in there that's not human, that's not normal, that's not right. And that's almost more more jarring than, I don't know, if he had done some sort of walk up to the mirror, what's beneath that cut? It's metal. Let me do Terminator 1 and and make the wound bigger and cut at the eye. You know, it's just, you don't need that. You just sit and say, oh my goodness, this poor guy, he's under duress. He's a good guy. And he's got all this stuff under him. Um, it was it was using special effects of whatever quality that you have uh, to your benefit. Um, and, and we had side note: we had this was an episode of some some quite good special effects. The uh, the bus landing on the uh, on the aircraft carrier was certainly nice. Um, further side note: once the again, the issue <laughs> was it a heli- I, I couldn't tell whether it was a, hel- a helicarrier or a standard aircraft carrier in part because well i don't know i to me i assumed it was just stock footage of an aircraft carrier that they they comped the bus into but you never know with shield man that that's true maybe it's just a smaller version it's like a one decker instead of a two decker uh, which of course has nothing to, to do with a top decker that's a completely different thing but um anyhow pete yes deathlock a villain in the episode um but i think we also had some other villainousness in this uh in this dossier i think it bears mentioning too just a little bit more on deathlock here we're told via agents of shield um formal promotion it's a two and a half hour makeup job on uh j august richards to get into the costume at least to where we are being shown right now i think we can all agree that that's probably going to get a little bit more complicated as he receives packages or upgrades, or whatever we're going to call them. <laughs> uh, and I, also that Bill Paxton has seen the Terminator before. <laughs> yes, he certainly has. And just to uh, just to return to his wound, uh, his burn wound for a moment, fantastic scene, kind of t- to stick with Jaws for a moment, kind of evocative of, you know, hey, fellow agent, I'll sh- let me show you this cut. Let me show you this shark bite. Let me show you this. Um 
also too it answers the question why he wears the turtleneck i love i love that it's a rather unusual choice to put that character in the turtleneck but now we know why because he has this awful awful burn which you know technically doesn't quite approach the neckline he he could get away i think with a uh you know a collared shirt but i think that that's the that's the character genesis on why he's he's covering up so much and it just worked wonderfully absolutely wonderfully definitely a recurrent theme tonight okay we have the deathlock appearance and and makeup we have garrett who you know i'm not quite sure we're done looking at uh his third degree burn or any kind of mention of action that he's seen then of course we have uh the suspected clairvoyant and thomas nash who obviously has uh you know, suffered in winding up in a wheelchair uh, with only um, a tube to communicate with um, when he meets up with Garrett and Coulson and Ward. Yeah. um, I agree. This definitely is an episode that I think was designed to have multiple people on this dossier list. Um, I agree. You know, there's something so charming about about Bill Paxton, uh, but there's also something slightly off when he's talking to Sky, um, and not in Paxton's performance. There's something slightly off from Garrett. Is he kind of flirting? Is he kind of saying, "Hey, young one, welcome to the team. I'm going to treat you like an equal, you know, or close to an equal." Um, you know. There's there's a lot going on with uh, who do we suspect? You know the whole question about Thomas Nash here. Um, definitely definitely a, a, a complex episode here when it comes to the uh, comes to the baddies. It is, and you know while we don't get a ton with Nash, the dialogue was very purposeful. Um, the clairvoyant name comes up, and he says that was Mister Poe who dubbed him the clairvoyant. Um, they say that uh, Peterson is gone. The feed has been cut, um, which may or may not be true. I don't know why you would sever a connection with um, as valuable an asset as uh, Deathlock in terms of controlling him. We know that, you know, the, the thing that was at least initially motivating Deathlock was his son in captivity. Um, and then uh, the idea of uh, Reyna being in prison is floated. Um, before, to everyone's shock, Ward silences Thomas Nash seemingly forever. Yeah, I am not sure how I feel about that scene if it is taken at face value that Trip told him, hey, you know, my partner was killed. What would you do if, you know, your kid sister Sky, who's a fellow scallywag with family problems, if she had been killed as well? Um, I think it will be a better answer if somehow ward was ordered or coerced or magic voiced by lorelei or something like that because he's such a company guy i 
I think it is a weakness within the structure of this episode to believe that he did that just out of, you know, hey, kid sister protection. Um, it was just a little too convenient. Uh, and I certainly share Coulson's uh, skepticism therein. I think it bears mentioning as well, Ward trained under, as did Triplett, the SO of John Garrett. So I don't think that can be ignored in this instance. Uh, so Ward winds up on our dossier. I don't think anybody really buys that he is connected with this big bad that may or may not still be out there. And then we pick up on the thread that was established in the closing moments of our most recent episode, Yes Men, episode 115, where May had updated log 93 and Fitz stumbles upon in the avionics bay the feed. And again, we're led to an ending with this very tense scene and then hand may be somebody who we look at. Could she be the clairvoyant? So Matt, what is the theme here amongst people that are winding up on our list of bad guys? Deathlock, Ward, May, Hand. Well, I mean, they're all certainly complex. They're all certainly people who you want to trust. Um, I'll mention I'm not buying Hand as the clairvoyant for a second i think that it merely is a product uh, i mean look she clearly is not team colson i get that um but i think that she or rather her actions at the end of the episode are merely writerly functions of the end of the episode you need something to propel you to next week you're aware that you need to give up the last i don't know three minutes or so to get that captain america commercial so you're dealing with even less time and you just need something to really propel you into next week so to me hand is again she's not team colson but she is not big bad um and uh i think similarly with may i think it's going to just take a quick explanation on her part um well she said she can explain but not here and the thread matt that i'm pointing out is shield itself peterson Ward, May, and we seem to have more threats. And again, as Colson points us here, uh, you know, this is a threat of intelligence. And, and Sky reveals the stuff about his father. And maybe it's not somebody on a psychic index, which they've kind of dallied around. This is probably, if not, one of our own. That absolutely is the case. Strife inside Shield, you know, something that I think we've been expecting for for quite a quite a time in uh, Captain America two. Um, certainly present here. I think May's inability to explain. I can't explain here. I'll be interested to see if there's a rationale for why she couldn't explain right then at that moment in the next episode, or if they just gloss over it. If they just gloss over it. Again, it's a little bit of hand of the writer where it's late in the episode and she just needs to give you cliffhanger, not right now, cut to hand, kill them all except for Coulson, but not right now, end of episode, get to Captain America commercial. 
Um, if that's the case, you know, I don't have a particular problem with it. I get it. I get the nature of, of you know, a, a story arc of an episode of television. It's just I'm kind of anticipating that a little bit, uh, a, a little bit there. With that, Pete, should we uh, delve on in for some deeper meaning into level seven? Yes, let's look at level seven tonight. And we'll start in terms of sequence. Uh, Sky uh, still has this GH325 that we are unsure of the effects. And uh, Simmons and Fitz are both worried that it is circulating in Coulson and in Sky. What does it all mean? I think it means that they are metaphorical big sister, uh, big brother and little sisters. Now that they share blood, if you will. Well, Sky's um, actress um, Chloe likes to point out that it's uh, father and daughter, but Clark Gregg likes to point out that it's big brother and big sister, and I think that is important uh, the way that it is uh, done there. Pete, when you are 21, as is the case of Chloe Bennett, and your guy pal is 51, that's daughter and father. When you are 51 and your gal pal, who both character to character and also something, you know, someone who in the personage of Chloe Bennett, he said that he, um, you know, had bonded with, uh, you know, in particular, uh, when that person is, uh, is is young enough to be your daughter um and you've gotten your your for you know you're headlining a series at age uh at, at age uh 50 he probably turned um oh actually tomorrow's his birthday look at that yes. April second so what you know when you were doing when, when you got this show at 50 when you've you've made it with no offense to clark Gregg, but just when you've made it as the headliner of a show at age 50 after after having um Started your career in 1988 in the uh, TV movie Lip Service. Uh, yeah, you, that's definitely your your kid's sister. I, I get it. I get it. You know, we all, I get it. We'll just leave it at that. I'm certainly not trying to suggest that Clark Gregg is old by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying I get the desire, especially pressures of Hollywood. Yeah, it's a kid's sister to him and it's a father to her. Uh, I, I don't, to me, there's no, there's no real, um, disconnect there matt what do you make because simmons is left at the hub uh she and fitz are dubbed because they've run into him uh seemingly the most the experts on Deathlock. she and trip stay at the hub there's also repeated purposeful mention of the triskelion um what do you make of the fact that there are two locations of seeming centrality. Well, I, I will say this. I think that, and, and this is where I, uh, I will stress to our listeners and to you, I, I, you know, I certainly don't want any spoilers, but I think it is a wonderful opportunity with Simmons at one of those central locations. Give her a darned cameo, even if it's just no dialogue and the camera goes back, you know, goes past her and there she is on the phone with Fitz, we can assume to me, it was just, it was conspicuous that they kind of dropped her off and she wasn't in the rest of the episode except for her voice. Yes, it had the whole function of then Fitz gets to call her on the secure line and discover the thing. But uh, to me, it's it's so ripe to have her inserted into into Captain America too. I think it would be a wonderful, 
uh, a wonderful addition if they're able to do it. As for multiple points of centrality, I mean, that's the government, man. <laughs> hey, let's have an internet so when the when the Ruskies bomb us, it's not going to all go down. Let's have multiple backups. Let's build, you know, a backup spot for the federal government in some, you know, spa in Maryland so we can just run there and close the big giant blast door and continue from cots while you're eating, you know, MREs and whatnot. I, redundancy, backups, that sort of thing. I that, That's the government, man. That's the government. Just one quick thing. I, I think the, as the kids say, the, the shipping was uh, promoted a little bit. And I think level seven is a good place to discuss that. The trip uh, Simmons uh, angle, or as I'm calling it, trip Simmons, um, you know, when they both stayed at the hub and cue about three seconds of music, <laughs> as well as a heavy sky ward scene in the cell on the bus tonight. Uh, certainly advanced both of those plot lines. Uh, maybe Sim Trip. Jim I like Trip Simmons, man. Why? Why you gotta? Trip yeah. Sons. Why? Why okay. you gotta? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's moving all those little pieces along. Especially, you know, now we're down to six episodes from the end, kind of moving things along. I will be shocked if if uh, Agent Triplet. I, there's one of two options for him, and there, I, I I will bet my, my my lofty podcast fortune. And your bippy. Three pennies. And uh, your bippy. And my bippy. Uh, I, I will bet that Triplet only has one of two options. He is so beloved that he's killed off by the end of the season. And we say, oh, if only Triplet hadn't died. Oh, my. Or he's so beloved that he joins the cast next season. And I think with such a diverse cast, the fact that the fact that we don't have an African-American on the cast, to me, I would just I would I would suggest maybe from a from a network point of view that that would be a good addition. Now, from a writer's point of view, they might say, you know, black, white, green, polka dot, Martian, whatever. Uh, we're going to get people to love him in seven in six episodes and then kill him in the seventh, kill him in the final episode. Um, I think that's equally possible, too. But um there's definitely more on uh, the trip sim future. Relationships aside, I specifically held out in our rundown of shield agents we might suspect as being behind all of this possible real identities of the clairvoyant. I held out Agent Blake only because it was inconclusive uh, within that and that he had also tagged Deathlock which I'm not convinced the clairvoyant would do. Yeah. Um, so I, I think something really to chew over Colson uh, believes this was nicely done and that it seemed to lead them to where they needed to be. Um, but then there were things like the 40, feet of concrete that enclosed where they met the clairvoyant or Thomas Nash, we should say. Okay. And then the fact that Blake has not been cleared of suspicion and we never see him again in the episode. So did they kill the clairvoyant? Uh, 
was this just a hard call made by Ward? He takes responsibility. But again, we wind up in the bay at the back of the bus and the bus has been turned around and we are headed towards a rendezvous with Victoria Hand. And once that bus is down, she only wants Colson. She doesn't want the rest. So we're headed for some serious drama going into, and again, seeing that the just back on the grid director Fury, absent for some period of time, Colson unable to get a hold of him, okay, is attacked and needs to get back off the grid before our winter soldier finds him in a Washington, D.C. intersection, which was actually filmed in, uh, I believe, Cleveland. Well, you're not going to be not going to be doing all that damage uh, in Washington, D.C. I'm sure uh, Homeland Security wouldn't be wouldn't be happy with that. A uh, couple of thoughts there, Pete, a couple of responses. Um, I agree I'm similarly non-committal towards uh, Agent Blake being being the clairvoyant. I think out of all the actors and all the characters that were in the uh, you know top brass scene, I think that look obviously he's well remembered for Lost. He's been in uh, been in Sons of Anarchy and so forth. I think he, Titus Welliver's presence in Agents of Shield has been an outgrowth of the uh, the Marvel one shot. Was it item forty? What was item forty seven. Item 47. Um, and to tie that all together, as opposed to some of the others that have been uh, perhaps a bit more organic, like with uh, with Sitwell, who's... I know he's been in some of the Marvel one-shots too, but it's just kind of been like... And he's in Avengers, and he's in yeah. Thor. Exactly, exactly. So he's kind of been around more. Hand is obviously a comic book character who, you know, has been in the show. I think this is the third time at least. Um and I know, I know, uh, I know. Blake was in was in you know a previous episode, but that was I think a little bit more like, look, guys, we're tying it all together as opposed to Hand, who's a bit more of an organic character, and 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 the rest of them that are all a bit more uh, organically created. So the fact that they had him for less scenes to me is almost kind of like, well, we can't, you know, the one guy we got to go send into Captain America too, and uh, the other guy we don't really have, you know in this show a lot. So let's get, let's write both of them out as soon as possible. Um, I'll mention too, just kind of jumping around in that, uh, in that top brass section, you know, we have Garrett, he assures everyone that he's just an agent. He's kind of reminding everybody I'm an agent. Um, the fact that he's downstairs the same time that, that the death lock is, that's also suspicious. So plenty of little threads to kind of be tugging at here. Um, I have been on the record line is tuned in next week. I have been on the record, Matt, long before this, and you can back me up on this, that Bill Paxton, that Agent Garrett could be our clairvoyant. I have never been more sure in my life. And I say that with no additional information. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, here's my prediction. Somebody that we really enjoy in the show is going to be killed off before the end of the season. They keep hinting that, keep saying, that's what Joss Whedon does, you know. Um, 
whether it's Bill Paxton, who, you know, in a in a flurry of bullets when he's revealed to be the clairvoyant, um, et cetera, et cetera. I, I will say, too, um, when it is revealed towards the end of the episode that the clairvoyant actually isn't some and I'm, I'm kind of extrapolating here and, and I'm building on some some other fan theories, but Coulson at all reached the conclusion hey, this isn't some guy with a big giant brain who can kind of see into our thoughts. This is somebody who reads the reports. This is somebody who has really good information. It's just somebody who has a lot of files on their desk and can put all the pieces together and can make reasonable assumptions. It's not, you know, let me look into your eyes. Um, That was a really nice moment. It's kind of, you know, what's the saying, Pete, where it's, you know, uh, um, with advanced enough technology, it can be uh, uh, confused as magic. Uh, have you heard that saying? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I've nailed it perfectly, but that general idea of, you know, when they can't, man, figure out how in the world they're doing this stuff. Oh, then it's the clairvoyant. Then it's magic. Then it's aliens. Then it's the ooze. Then it's the big giant brain. The minute you say, wait a minute, this is a super secret organization that keeps tabs on its people. And if you just have access to it all and you can read that stuff, then it's like you're a genius, but you just happen to have, you know, a really awesome psych profile. So, um, lots of ton, not lots of ton, but you know, tons and lots of, of level seven stuff here. Who is it? Who will be around, et cetera, et cetera. Good stuff, Pete. You know what else is some good stuff, Pete? The decrypted transmissions, a reminder, by the way, that uh, if you'd like to share feedback like some of these people have, you can tweet us at Fantastic Geek. That's fantastic with a PH. You can uh, leave a comment on fantasticgeek.com or email fantasticgeek at gmail.com. Pete, we have a trio of tweets uh, today, keeping it uh, rather short and sweet. First, from the ever reliable Mike Sorensen. That's uh, Warcry underscore 75 on Twitter. He says, uh, rather tongue in cheek. Uh, Thomas Nash equals the newest incarnation of Russell Nash, a.k.a. Connor McLeod. The clairvoyant is the Highlander. It's all connected. <laughs> so, Pete, are we, is, you know, a la the, uh, a la the uh, oh, shoot, what's his name? The comedian who's going to be in, uh, actually, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. who did Pat the whole Oswald, seven minutes. The, uh, Pat Noswald. The Star Wars, you know. uh, Marvel, uh, Disney, uh, you know, just ham sandwich <laughs> diatribe yeah so are we building another movie franchise here where it's going to be the marvel highlander you know conflagration i don't think so <laughs> fair enough um also from ever reliable zp international uh, this is a bit more serious he said did you all hear that references to the canadian government department h a weapon x reference question mark that of course you know, for those not in the know, Weapon X is the program that Wolverine was created under. Now, Pete, obviously they can't be touching some, you know, touching directly um, much of the, you know, they can't say, did you hear that Wolverine and Cyclops were fighting alongside the Fantastic Four against Spider-Man and Venom? But, Pete, did we have possibly a little just side side reference to a side reference of part of the Marvel Universe that the MCU can't touch? got to be delicate. I don't think it could be direct and obviously this is really uh, untested waters when it comes to that. But we're saying this within an episode that directly feeds into uh, in a way that 
I've not seen done um, a TV show into a film. Yeah, I, I thought that there were slight shades of what I think is mostly, for better or worse, remembered as a failed experiment. But the um, the two Matrix sequels being bridged by the uh, by by the video game that itself had an hour of movie footage shot concurrent with the two sequels and all that, where you're kind of flip flopping back and forth between different stories and different types of story, different mediums, or I guess media. If I want to be a big boy. Um, but yeah, there's kind of all that going on. Um, and so why not throw in a little reference, by the way, Pete, my sources at Wikipedia, at least a quick glance, tell me that, um, uh, weapon X operated through Canada's department K. So perhaps that's your legal out where you say, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not department K it's department H that's totally different. You can't sue us. It's also um, not a level eight. Uh, source like I would look into. I mean, Wikipedia, man, that's that's level zero. Ah, uh, Pete, you, you you misunderestimate it to use a uh, to use a uh, a word coined by one of our former presidents. But Pete, speaking of superlatives, um, the last tweet here goes to someone who is winning Agent of the Week. It's Johnny R. Who uh, is is uh, is you know profuse in his uh, praise for August J. August Richards, who of course plays uh, the, the the pained and troubled Deathlock, aka Mike Peterson. He says seriously, J. August Richards totally owns this role, has since day one, and I think that Johnny really raises an excellent point. It's you know the part is as big as you make it. I don't know that they had a plan for him to be Deathlock from day one. There's a article today in the hollywood reporter you know today february 1st february hello uh april 1st <laughs> that was the april fool's day uh joe kids uh april 1st uh, 2014 you can look it up um with jed whedon and marissa tancheron and they're saying oh yes 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 this has all come together exactly as we planned there was the studio and the this and that they all read everything and see everything but there's been healthy discussions but this is exactly what we wanted all along I don't know that that is totally true. I don't know that they cast, you know, fan or favorite Whedon, favorite J. August Richards uh, to play Deathlock in these final episodes to be at the climb, you know, halfway through the, 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 the season to be revealed to be this bad guy, so on and so forth. But J. August Richards does own this role. He's he I think he's I dare say he's acting on a level that some of the actors are not. And he's capable of a level of acting that at least has not been asked for from other actors so um johnny kind of hits all the hits all the notes there and johnny gets agent of the week congratulations agent indeed indeed pete with that let's just uh if, if people haven't got the hints and the mentions enough let's just look ahead to the next podcast which will be for what that will be for captain america the winter soldier which matt will be checking out for the first time this weekend <laughs> yeah and uh, uh barring some sort of trouble that should be up um probably uh sun uh, pardon me saturday evening april 5th um if there's some sort of delay it would be Sunday morning, but certainly when you go see, uh, you know, or the, by the time you go see Captain America, at least, uh, in these United States, um, you know, at some point this weekend, the, the podcast will be there waiting for you. Pete, would you say it's safe to say that 
effective the next Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, um, we're going to go full spoilers for Captain America if there is some, you know, whatever the after effects are that has been hinted at Paley, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, whatever happens in Captain America that may directly impact the TV show, we're going to go for that next week. There was a time, Matt, when it came to what happened in a movie theater and we go back to a Alfred Hitchcock, you know, don't don't spoil the ending uh, type of uh, situation. But what percentage of the movie going audience and of a film's overall audience winds up seeing the movie in the first weekend? We know that it's virtually unheard of a sixth sense or a hit along those lines that gathers steam and instead gains a bigger audience with subsequent weeks. Captain America's biggest weekend will be the first weekend when everybody goes to see it and all the wiser for them and, and Marvel, the plan ducks in a row, everything it's all connected is going to ante up like it's nobody's business on Tuesday and we are going to go spoiler full, baby. Hashtag spoiler Pete. <laughs> so there's your warning. Cats and kitties out there. It's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be full on. So make sure you see Captain America, the Winter Soldier uh, this weekend. And with that, Pete, if people want to talk to spoiler Pete, how can they do oh, that? Oh, Matt, do you mean people like uh, BJ Britt, who plays Agent Triplet, or J. August Richards, who plays Deathlock, both of which interacted with me on Twitter tonight. Are you talking about people like that? People like that, or the real, the people, real, the, the the fans out there across the world, all our agents out there. Well, two thousand seven hundred and five followers can't be wrong. You can find me on the Twitter at Peter P I E T E R J. Ketelar, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, although at least for the last couple of weeks it's been more focusing on the uh, the Fantastic Geek Twitter uh, Twitter account, although you can find me at both. And uh, Pete, before we say goodbye, could you quickly review the raffle? Yes, and you are making reference to our review raffle, which I will now review. <laughs> uh, the rules of which. <laughs> uh, we love reviews on iTunes, but we need some more of them. So we have created an incentive. We have on pre-order the first ever Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. collectible, a Funko vinyl Agent Coulson, which could be yours come the raffle that will be conducted the night of the season one finale of agents of shield on tuesday may 13th we're asking because of itunes lag and posting the reviews that you get your review uh in no later than may 11th to make sure that we can see it in time for the finale you might even want to air a little bit more on the side of caution put that bad boy up there right now <laughs> and a reminder too you should just uh shoot us an email after you've done the review just saying hey here's my itunes name just so that way we can match up uh winner to uh to uh poster 
um, because of course you know that can <laughs> the two can be the uh, can be different on iTunes and all that. We're not going to necessarily know who you are. So please uh, do make sure uh, to uh, uh, to be in touch at fantasticgeek at gmail.com. I guess with that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners. And Pete, give you the final word, sir. Lose, sir. I'm a shield podcaster, just like you. 